Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Well, Jackie, I'm sure that the listeners will want to know a little bit about each of us. And because I'm the youngest and the bravest here, mm. I'll go first okay, with then. my story. <laughs> Thanks. Go on, then. My weight gain and weight loss story really begins thinking about my relationship with food. Food has always been a big part of my life. And like so many families, we always celebrated holidays and birthdays, Christmas, Easter, around sharing a meal with family. And it was really my my dad's mum, my paternal grandmother, who was always preparing food when we visited. She was such a wonderful cook of biscuits and cakes and sweets and treats. And her plum pudding, Christmas plum pudding, was something that celebrating that time so special. That cake steamed, was rich and dark and fruity and served with lashings of cream and custard. And not forgetting that this was after we had that roast turkey meal with the roast potatoes and gravy. So that food coma was well deserved. Mm. Now, not forgetting, unlike the UK, this was in the height of the Australian summer. So we would be passed out on my on my grandparents' um, sofa, um, which was a plastic um, vinyl, um, yeah, black, <laughs> in the in the heat of summer. So yeah, that food kind of was was very special indeed. So it wasn't really until the birth of my son, and I was in the middle of an unhappy marriage, which later ended, that I gained most of my weight. And like Dr. Phil would say, I was having that party in my mouth and I was eating my emotions. And yes, Dr. Phil, it was not working for me. As I was gaining weight and eating my way through my unhappiness, the emotional roller coaster escalated even more so when we had family court proceedings over custody, which I ended up being a single parent of my son who has learning difficulties. And on top of this, not one to do things by halves, um, I was working full-time, I was writing my PhD, and so my life was one big ball of stress. Yeah, I don't know how you managed all that. Well, I struggled, and I did try the obligatory Weight Watchers, and, you know, it became a bit of a competition with counting those points, the meal replacement shakes, uh, Jenny Craig, Ducan, just to, to name a few. Yeah. So I've heard of Jenny Craig from some of the podcasts, but um, some of our UK listeners might not have heard of that. And also I've never heard of Ducan. So Jenny Craig is a meal replacement. Um, so it's a plan. So you have your three meals replaced by their small, obviously portion-controlled, calorie-controlled um, meal replacements. So Ducan was, I think, a French uh, doctor. And why, well, yeah, all I remember really from his plan, I think it was probably like a low-fat, higher carbohydrate, um, was the little galettes, which was an oat bran fiber pancake that um, I, I remember that. That was mostly what I remember for him. Mm. But thinking back, in hindsight, those shakes were probably low-carb-ish. Even though they were low-calorie, um, they did let you have um, have more fat in the program. Uh, they were actually quite delicious. I've got to say, they, they they were quite delicious, and they did work for me. I lost about um, fifteen kilos, about thirty pounds, mm-hmm. and of course, that was not quite sustainable. I'm obviously not as knowledgeable as I am now about the true science of eating ketogenically. Yeah. But I 
being the curious type person, I tend to over-intellectualize. Maybe it's part of me being the, the paramedic and the university lecturer. I was really looking for reasons behind why I was increasingly gaining weight and, you know, using the calories in and calories out, that conventional wis- wisdom, I knew that I needed to expend more energy. I needed to move more and eat less. I ended up hiring a personal trainer and she punished me three times a week. <laughs> so, you know, I did feel better. Don't get me wrong. You know, the, the exercise did make me feel better, but it never really shifted the ever-increasing weight. Yeah. So there was something ironic um, about a university lecturer standing out the front of my large freshman first year classes as this intellectual overweight woman that I wasn't obviously practicing what I was preaching at that time, which was really to try and think about the lived experience of that person, to be empathetic and understanding about that health issues and health concerns. Mm. So I really thought about my university contacts and I looked to the psychology faculty who um, at my campus and they had an eating disorder unit. So they were leaders, uh, they were researching in the area of eating disorders, so I contacted them for a recommendation for a therapist. And it was this one thing that really changed my life, having a therapist who specialised in eating disorders. Not to say that I said that I well, it had a named eating disorder, but I certainly had disorderly eating. Yeah. So the therapist used uh, cognitive behaviour therapy and I really tried to understand and to think about my triggers, raising my consciousness about what my food habits and my food patterns, food beliefs, and really getting back to those childhood impressions around how food was a social thing. Um, and food was obviously now being used to manage my stress, you know, to console my emotions, which were mainly high carbohydrates because they were easy to prepare as a single parent. They were easily accessible, but obviously not necessarily the nourishment that, that I needed. Yeah. So at that stage, um, I was approaching 300 pounds or nearly close to 130 kilos. And I decided that as an option, um, this is obviously two years into therapy, um, to undergo weight loss surgery. Mm-hmm. So it was not an easy one. And um, me being the intellectual, I researched the literature. I wanted to know what my choices were, what were the risks. So Australia, having a socialised universal healthcare like the UK, I went to my GP and I got some referrals to um, to surgeons. And I basically interviewed them and their different procedures. I took along my research papers, which were highlighted with yellow, with sticky notes, and I just wanted to show them that I was serious about making this decision. And, you know, I interviewed them, you know, what are their risks, what are their successes, what can I expect? And, you know, it really was because I had a colleague at the time who underwent a vertical sleeve gastrectomy and she had some great results. Mm. So um, I, yeah, I consulted and underwent the procedure and that was in 2012. Right. So as you can imagine, at 130 kilos or 300 pounds, life was tiring. It was just so difficult to move around. Nothing had worked. You know, I'd had the two years of um, therapy. I had certainly a better handle in managing my stress. There were things that had um, had resolved in my life, certainly for the family court. I'd finished my PhD. You know, things were moving on. Yeah. So I definitely knew that I wanted a permanent option and the vertical sleeve gastrectomy certainly gave that. It meant that um, unlike the lap band or the bypass, you know, there were certain you know, risks and things that I didn't want to, to go down that path. Yeah. So by the end of um, 2015, I'd lost about 40 kilos, so that was about 80, 80 or so pounds. Yeah. And um, in May of 2015, I was riding my motorcycle between meetings at work and I had an accident. I had T-boned a car and yep. I sustained some critical injuries. 
I had 11 broken ribs. I punctured both my lungs. I broke my shoulder blade, my sternum, and I fractured three um, spine vertebrae. So that meant a five-hour spinal surgery, induced coma, five days in ICU, multiple blood transfusions, and as you can imagine, a very lengthy rehabilitation. Yeah, wow, that's a big accident. So that then brings me to how I got to low carb, which really belongs to my mum. And she had been, already had started with Tim Noakes and um, his banting in early 2015, and she had obviously planted the seeds of ideas about lowering my carbohydrates and increasing my fats, which was obviously she was having some success with. So in the May, having had my accident, she was well and truly aware of what, um, you know, the benefits of low carbohydrate and inflammation. So she had really started me with, you know, thinking about that over the summer. So at the end of 15 into 2016. So by this time, I had repartnered. We were blending a family of three teenage boys and Andrew was on the verge pre-diabetic. So along with my need to be managing my chronic pain and inflammation and managing with um, Andrew's pre-diabetes, so low-carbohydrate was certainly on the way to go. Mm. So that brings me up to now, you know, I'm eight years post-surgery, five years after my accident and I'm off all pain medication and I have now a total of 60 kilos or 130 pound weight loss, which I've maintained. Amazing. So I'm stronger and fitter. Um, So I'm certainly incorporating intermittent fasting you know, and now it's about changing my body composition, looking about becoming, I was going to say leaner and meaner, but, um, <laughs> you know, with strength training and certainly looking at, um, you know, looking at reducing body fat as opposed to what my gross tonnage is on the on the scales yeah. that I weigh on the scales. So changing shape. Yeah. So the things that are really helping me is that because I love cooking, you know, I have all the all the groovy kitchen gadgets um, or, you know, medical devices. That's how I justify them. <laughs> so um, I have my Instant Pot, I have my sous vide, and before moving to Bangkok, I purchased a Thermomix. Which replaces your Instant Pot and your sous vide. No, it does not. <laughs> well, it does. Sorry, Joe. Joe would know that it does, but um, I still need to keep those, those very important um, other medical devices. <laughs> so, and I think that one of the things is for me as an advocate, not so much an advocate of weight loss surgery, I know that I'm one of the lucky ones with weight loss surgery who has really been able to benefit from the surgery. There are lots of critics around around having had weight loss surgery that it's a cop-out and it's drastic. Um, you do see them in the Facebook groups. But for me, it was a tool. You know, I've looked after my sleeve and it has really looked after me. You know, I don't want to live my life with the regret of thinking, if only I'd known about keto before, would I have had, you know, would I have made that decision? Well, I don't know, but I simply had. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to, you know, ask the question, you know, by all means, but I don't know because I think I was exhausted. I'd exhausted all of the diet plans, options that I knew at the time. And maybe I do, maybe I didn't, you know, what I've gone through, I don't know. But it's a tool. I've looked after it. I've maintained now a weight loss of 60, 60 kilos, 130 pounds, and I'm okay with where I am. It has stretched a little bit. Um, I do know that I can eat more than my half a cup or on a plate, but I certainly am eating you know, delicious keto food, So, um, and I'm not feeling hungry. Yeah. And you're maintaining your weight. Absolutely. Well, you don't know your weight. You're, you're, you're maintaining how you're. I don't know you're... In my shape. <laughs> yeah. But certainly, you know, the best thing for me was fixing what was above my mouth, uh, before I undertook um, the decision for surgery. And that certainly, you know, in, that investment alone with the eating disorder therapist 
um, before the decision to have surgery and then after surgery moving into a supportive counselling um, relationship with, with the therapist, I certainly have managed my emotions a lot better now. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, Louise. That was really interesting and you had some traumatic times in there, so it's not surprising that you turned to food. Shall I share my story now? Go ahead. I'm sure that the listeners will appreciate um, hearing all about your journey. I was destined to be fat. My dad was very overweight. My granddad was obese. His nickname was Cannon because he looked like the 70s detective. Even in primary school, I felt fat. Looking back, I obviously wasn't fat, but I felt it. I guess, and I think this has happened all through my life, I've been comparing myself to others. I remember being proud when I could eat as much as my dad. It was if I'd was if I was a grown up. And one of my grandmothers was always trying to feed us. Like you, it was my paternal grandmother. I guess that was her way of showing love. We used to go to her house every Friday night for many years. And we'd have this massive three, four course meal. And then the adults would play cards. And around midnight, more food would come out. I loved those midnight snacks. I would ask my grandma if we're going to have, you know what? And eventually, we just called those midnight snacks, you know what? By the time I was in my early teens, I was attending Weight Watchers with my great aunt, who was also very overweight, and that was on my mum's side. And all through my teens, I tried different diets. I would stick to them for a few weeks and then fall off the wagon and not be able to get back on again. As well as Weight Watchers, I tried Cambridge Diet, which is shakes, uh, and I did that with my granddad and others that I can't even remember the name of. So was those Cambridge ones, were they low calorie as well? You know, like an OptiFast, what OptiFast would be now? <sighs> I have no idea. The only thing I do remember is they tasted disgusting, which is no surprise that I couldn't stick to it. So I really don't know. Um, it was 40 years ago. But you were obviously sticking to like 800 to 1,000 calories a day. Probably. I mean, I would quite often do calorie counting as a way of trying to lose weight, and then I would keep to 1,000 calories a day. Which you'd obviously learnt through your, your Weight Watchers. Yeah, and and then it, at, at that time they were really promoting calorie counting and calorie mm. counting books. So Definitely before the points, the, the points which would become a gain for me. Yeah, before that. So this is at the end of your teens now? Where are you up to? Uh, mid-teens. 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 Yeah. yeah. Then... Just before my 18th birthday, I went into hospital to have an operation. And at the time, I didn't really know why. I mean, what I knew was I was having a lot of pain. It would happen more when I was having my periods. I'd often come home from school and just lay on the couch. Thankfully, I was blissfully unaware of what was actually going on. Um, And it was only many years later that I found out that my parents and my family knew beforehand and were extremely worried because I had a tumour on my ovary. Luckily, it was benign. And it was only much later when I found out that it was the size of a football. Wow. Yeah. So, And I know it had been there for a long time. It had been there for a long time before... I even started investigating it. And I'd been a long time going to the doctor and saying, I've got a problem, I've got a problem, and I was sent from pillar to post, you know, antibiotics for um, urine infections and kidneys being looked at and all things like that. So it was quite a long period of investigation. So I had that operation. I came out of hospital on my 18th birthday. (laughs) By the time I was 19, I weighed 14 stone, 2 pounds, which is 90 kilos. And what I know now that I didn't know then was that the increasing weight gain was a a result of having my ovaries removed. Well, one and a half ovaries. And and so it was a hormonal response. I would often go on diet to try and lose weight, but never very successfully. In my 20s, the F plan worked quite well. 
I could stick to that a bit better than most. Um, what I remember that I liked being able to eat was baked beans on toast. Now, it was brown toast. It wasn't quite the same as white toast, but I could do that. But I just ate a lot of beans on toast. Then Slimming World came out and I did that. And when I think back of all the things that I've done, uh, I hate to think about the damage that I did to my health and my metabolism. As I got older, I gave up on diets because diets don't work. But I did buy into the concept of eat less and move more because it just makes total sense in a scientific way. If you take in X amount of calories and use up X amount of calories, then there'll be a deficit or a gain. The trouble is, I couldn't eat lot less and I couldn't move more or I wouldn't move more. Through my 30s and 40s, I would try different protocols and therapies to help with my infertility and severe migraines. I tried acupuncture, Chinese medicine, homeopathy, kinesiology, uh, supplements. Once I spent five days in the Scottish borders drinking only fruit juice and having daily colon hydrotherapy. And after that experience, experience I continued with the colon hydrotherapy for several more months but nothing really worked. So what drew you to natural therapies because that's obviously quite a difference to what you're saying about being scientific and understanding calories in calories out that you took this this homeopathic route. Yeah so when I first got married and I remember it's the first year I was married my husband bought me a book about aromatherapy so that's that was the start of my following natural, using natural things rather than the doctor as much as I could. Then in 2001, I did a, no, actually. So then I'd, I'd also, so I also tried, <laughs> so I also tried uh, hypnotherapy and through working with a hypnotherapist, I actually trained as a hypnotherapist. And then I was doing um, hypnobirthing. And then after, when my boys were about a year and a half, I really got into homeopathy uh, quite a lot. It, when I first tried it, it didn't work very well. But then I used, started using it for my boys. And since then, so they were, so that was 16 and a half, 16 years ago, I don't use medication at all. So you really went through this transformative experience of, you know, taking that that scientific approach and then you just sort of obviously challenged it and you found what worked for you. Yeah, and you know, and sometimes it didn't work, but I just, I just buy into the fact that natural is better and that's why I love this way of eating because it's natural, it's food, mm. real food. Yeah. Yeah. And how did the drinking only fruit juice and the daily colon therapy work for you? I, I just can't can't imagine that. <laughs> um, I suppose it's like fasting, really. Only it was really hard at the time because I was, was wasn't used to not eating. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I wasn't mm -hmm. used to not eating. You know, I still mm -hmm. struggle with the not eating part of fasting. But did you try any detoxes at that time? Ah, yeah. So I tried. <laughs> Once I tried a 30-day detox, uh, Carol, I think it was Carol Vorderman. I got halfway through before I gave up because I didn't like the, the foods that they, we were having to eat. Plus, since then, I haven't been able to drink redbush tea or eat avocado. I mean, in the last couple of years since I've been keto, I have been trying to eat some avocado, but I really don't like it. And now I've just given up trying to eat it. I love red bush tea. So that's all right. So it just means more red bush tea for me. That's fine. Yeah. So I believed that the healthy way to live was to be a vegetarian. And a few times oh, I tried no. it. <laughs> Once I lasted for nine months. And now I, and actually thinking back, I wonder if I damaged my children because they were vegetarian for a long time. Um, from when they were born through till they were maybe three or four, they hardly ate any meat. I didn't give them any meat. And uh, and I didn't give them any other form of protein either. Nor did I eat any protein. So um, I always struggled with the vegetarian part because I don't 
particularly like fresh tomatoes and I detest cooked tomatoes. I don't eat a lot of pulses. They're okay, but they were never a staple in my diet as, you know, eating them daily. So I mostly lived on bread and pasta. So I don't think I had any protein in that time. And also at that time, I thought eggs are not good for you. But I kept craving meat, and that's no wonder, I guess. But you weren't listening to your body, really. You weren't tuning in, or you hadn't tuned into the signals like you have tuned in now. Yeah. So another time I gave up wheat for nine months, and what I found was as soon as I gave myself permission to have some, then I couldn't get back to it. And I thought I wasn't disciplined enough. I knew wheat was addictive and and bad for us, but I couldn't get back to cutting it out. And not only was I eating lots of bread, but I was also having thick butter, lashings of butter. So I was probably a heart attack waiting to happen. At this point, I was now late 40s, early 50s, and my weight was creeping up. And I still told myself that I had to eat less and move more. So many nights I'd go to bed and I'd tell myself, this is it. Tomorrow is going to be different. Tomorrow... I'll exercise more and I'll eat less. And every day I'd get up and nothing will have changed. I didn't eat less and I didn't move more. And each day I didn't do it, and my belief in myself diminished. I believed I didn't have any willpower. I didn't have any motivation. And that showed up in all areas of my life, so not just around food. I was running our family business and it was a really stressful time. And in order to spend time with my kids, I would work late into the night. So when they went to bed, I would work until one or two in the morning. And my average sleep was five and a half hours a night. Some nights, uh, and some nights I couldn't even sleep. We had a 24-7 business and for several months we struggled to find night staff. So I was often working a 12-hour night shift. And at that time, I didn't know how being awake at night messes up your home hormones, which in turn affects your weight. And I remember doing one stint of doing 17, 12-hour shifts on the trot, so no break in between. So at that time, my weight steadily increased until I was at my heaviest 16 stone, 16 and a half stone, which is about 231 pounds or 105 kilos. And my eating felt out of control. I knew I was heading for disaster if I didn't change anything. I just felt so powerless. My self-confidence was rock bottom and I didn't believe I could make the changes needed. I had no intention of going on diet. I kept telling myself, diets don't work. I need to eat less and move more. What was wrong with me? I don't know, I couldn't do it. I tried waking up, walking up and down the stairs. I managed that for a minute and then I only did it for a few days and then I stopped. I tried jumping on my rebounder. I did that for a few days and stopped. Even setting aside one minute became impossible. Then, listening to a podcast, I was recommended to a book called Gretchen Rubin, Better Than Before, Mastering the Habits of Everyday Lives. And in it, she spoke about how she'd lost weight and she mentioned another book by Gary Taubes, Why We Get Fat and What to Do About It. Yeah, Gretchen changed my life as well. So yeah, she's, she really was you know, inspirational and really understanding about habits for me. So yeah, I've got a, got a lot to be grateful and thankful for, for her and my journey. Mm. I was listening to Gretchen Rubin because I had Audible and and so I bought, the following month, I bought the Gary Taubes book, not expecting anything to change, not expecting to be able to follow through because I've never followed through before. And that was in May 2017. So I didn't even, I didn't even do any further investigation. I just cut out foods like potatoes, pasta, rice and wheat. And of course, with the wheat goes the cakes and the biscuits and started to eat more vegetables. And that's how I continued for the first six months. I was still eating chocolate. Um, the vegetables I ate were mostly not low carb. They were peas and um, corn on the cob. But even so, my weight 
slowly dropped. Then in January 18, I started to explore the ketogenic diet and learn more. I adjusted my foods more, started to eat my more ketogenic diet, and I swapped my dairy milk and my lovely fruit and nut for 85% dark chocolate. And I swapped the peas and the corn on the cob for above ground leafy veg. And overall, I was eating less food. And to my astonishment, I wasn't hungry all the time. So now we're in 2020 and my weight is fairly steady. It bounces around a lot, but I'm okay with that. I have lost so much more than I ever expected to. I would love to lose a bit more. Or as I say, reduce, because I don't want to lose it, because when we lose something, we have to find it. I'd like to lose another two stone. And if I don't, I'm happy where I am. Overall, so far, I've uh, reduced four stone, which is fixed 56 pounds or 25 kilos. And I'm maintaining that weight. Last year, in 2019, I decided to make this my mission to help people to improve their health and lose weight through a low-carb ketogenic way of eating. Well, Jackie, you should be proud. You know, that's a wonderful journey and, you know, one that, needless to say, isn't straightforward, but, you know, you certainly got there in the end and, yeah, so you should be proud of, of what you're doing. And you're still taking a scientific approach because, you know, you try something, you get that feedback, it then informs the next time that you try something, you feed that forward. So there is a quality improvement cycle, you know, continuously, you know, informing your future, your future actions and future progress. So yeah. you still, you still got a tweaking, tweaking that little scientific approach anyway. Yeah, true. So I'm sure that the listeners will want to know how did this crazy Aussie and this Brit eventually got together to be doing this particular podcast. Um, if I remember right, we first met in January 2019. Is that right? Yeah, I'd heard you on a podcast and found out that you were working in Chelmsford, which is just up the road from me. So I reached out to you on Messenger. You yeah, actually, that's right. You were actually in Australia at the time. You'd gone home for Christmas. We arranged yeah, to get together when you got back. Certainly get around, don't I? Um, yeah, I was actually living living and working in the UK and um, so I'd moved over in May of 2018 and uh, was working in Chelmsford as a paramedic lecturer. So, um, yeah, and what was the podcast that you heard me on? That was on the Keto Woman podcast. Right. With Daisy. You were with, with Daisy, Daisy at the PHC conference. Oh, that must have been the May the May episode because the PHC conference was in London in in the May of two thousand and eighteen. Yeah, and I'd um I'd found that podcast uh probably later in the year, but I'd gone back to listen to all the original, you know, all the episodes beforehand. So that's when I heard you were in the UK. Yeah, so that was interesting because now here we are, the the Aussie in Bangkok, <laughs> um, and you're still in the UK, and we're now doing doing a podcast. I'm sure that um, we hope that the listeners will certainly appreciate the fact that we have had such an interesting and diverse journeys, and now we're trying to help others with um, our shared experiences, and hopefully we'll be getting our guests to um, equally share their their experiences to um, live live better yeah and when I think of shared experiences I often think about our journey when I took you to the airport when you were going home in October and uh, we had a bit of we had a a rather interesting day (laughs) I think karma did not want me to leave the UK you know we were stuck what on the M25 with a flat tire yeah and we'd um, witnessed a Somebody being knocked off their bike earlier in the day. Oh, that's right. So, yeah, Karma did not want me to leave the UK, so I'm sure that that's why we're we're continuing on this joint journey to connect to, to keep connected. Yeah. So I know you mentioned about um, Daisy's podcast, the Keto Woman podcast. Um, what what else have you listened to? So the 
I've listened to lots. Um, I started off listening a lot to Jimmy Moore, and he's had several different podcasts. So I've listened to all those until he went away in September. And I haven't picked up with him again. I've got into listening to other podcasts. And in the beginning, I was listening to um, a lady called Sean Miner. But again, I've sort of moved on from there. So I think my favourites are um, the Keto Woman podcast and the Fat Emperor and Low Carb MD. And you know about this, but I'll tell the listeners. I've just found another one which has just started. So I'm listening to episode three at the moment. And it's a Spanish one. They're Mexican doctors. And one's working in Texas and one is right on the border with um, California in Tijuana. And they're doing their podcast in Spanish. And I'm quite fluent in Spanish. So I'm really honing in on my Spanish and picking up all the, all the medical terms in Spanish as well. But I just it just cracks me up when they, they say, uh, how do you say whatever in Spanish and they're asking they're both Spanish they're both Mexican and they forget the words in Mexican and they have to ask in English <laughs> but anyway that's me oh the other ones I like I dip into are uh, Mark Hyman's The Doctor's Pharmacy uh, Keto Happiness is another British podcast and then I used to listen all the time to the two keto dudes and quite sad that it's not on anymore how about yeah. you yeah, that was that was really what um, that was one of the ones that my mum recommended me to um, to listen to. So started, and that's how I really started um, listening to the podcast. Um, at that time, I had an hour and a half commute um, there and back to work, so I had three hours in the car. So I listened to so many podcasts, audiobooks, um, iTunes University. Um, so I had a lot, but. Obviously, not only um, when I went to the UK, I didn't have a car, but I was flying a lot So and on the train. So I did actually, my podcast listening went down a little. And now with lockdown, um, oh. my commute my commute to my desk um, <laughs> is obviously very short. So my podcast listening has, um, is, is non-existent. But like you, I, I cycled through. Uh, the Tokyo Dudes was obviously the first one and I really got to know um, Carl and Richard and, yeah, so through through the Facebook group and admin on the Tokyo Dudes forum, various, obviously, the Keto Fest when yeah, they helped, helped out a lot. In, yeah, did volunteer coordinator, head, head red shirt lady. <laughs> and the Peter Atiyah. So I have to give a shout out to Peter Atiyah, even though they're long, but they're rich and so well researched. And there's been a f- quite a few of his episodes that um, have been very in depth and scientific. Daisy, shout out to Daisy for the Keto Woman podcast. Yeah, and, one of my favourites. Um, yeah, so that's really where my podcast took me to. Um, there was obviously Jason Form for a while, and that was part of the Two Kiddo Dudes suite. They had the Obesity Code podcast. Yeah. Um, but certainly my reading, as I said, I had a, had a very long um, commute to campus, so I had um, an Audible account. Mm. And Yeah, me too. And you mentioned that because you had Gretchen's book on Audible. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was how I came came to this. So, yeah, I... I I go through phases of starting it up and stopping it. And you so mentioned um, Gio, Jimmy Jimmy Moore, and so I assume that you would have read um, his book, Keto Clarity. Yeah, I've read Keto Clarity and Cholesterol Clarity and which other ones he did, the Complete Guide to Fasting. Fasting. I think I've read mm-hmm. every one of his books, actually, or listened to, mm-hmm. I should say. Yeah, listened to. Yeah, I certainly listened to um, Nina Tite's Ty Schultz um, with the big fat surprise. That was a really good one. Yeah, I need to listen to that again. It's well worth going back. Definitely. And listening again. And what else have you read or listened to? Um, Yeah, certainly that was sort of cycling through some of those, like the Wheat Belly by William Davis. Um, That was the um, Grain Brain. Yeah. Wheat, um, Wheat Belly, I read years before I started keto actually and it was through that book that I understood how wheat is so addictive and 
um, affects our digestion because we're not made to eat the current wheat that we have and how they altered it for farming reasons and it just irritates our bowels. Is that when you gave up the wheat for nine months? Yeah, that was because of that, yeah. Wow. That was a long and, time ago. Then you, you, you reintroduced wheat after that? I did, because I like it so much. But that's, you can understand now that's how addictive it is. Yeah. So the other ones, uh, I'm just scrolling through my Audible account on my was, phone here. I was going to say, and Grain Brain is really good because I love the way mm. um, he talks about um, Alzheimer's and dementia um, being caused by these grains that we eat all the time. Mm. Yep. Uh, obviously, Obesity Code with Jason Form, and you mentioned about the complete guide to, to fasting yep. as well. The more technical ones that we – you move from, obviously, these not basic books but these introductory books. I, I, seem, to, I seem to have moved to being that scientific brain as well, like you, um, into the more technical to the, the art and science of low-carbohydrate, obviously, by Steve Finney. Yeah, Jeffolic. Yeah, and then and I also yeah. read New Atkins for a new you, which he did with, which they did with Eric Westman. Westman. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You also mentioned, did you? You mentioned about the um, craft book, Joseph Craft. I have it on my bookshelf behind me, but I haven't read it yet. So there's a term for that. So the the book collectors, and that's. I mean, you know, to be fair, I'm a bit of a book collector because I've got, um, you know, the Yadkin's book as well about the pure white and deadly. So I seem to want to, you know, collect these books um, with the intention of reading it, but um, I still haven't quite gotten around to reading, yeah, so to the be craft fair, and the Yadkin book. To be fair, I only bought it uh, a few weeks ago and I am in the middle of another book. So I need to finish that one first before I start any other. Okay. I'll let you off just this once. <laughs> but at least you've got your books. Mine are actually all in storage or I actually <laughs> gifted. I actually, I feel really sad. I gifted all my cookbooks um, before I left, obviously, coming here, uh, which is really good because obviously like Jimmy Moore and Maria Emmerich obviously have you know, published quite a few um, cookbooks as well. Oh, so, yes, I've got one um, of those. You've got one of them as well? I can yeah. see that behind the on the bookshelf behind you. Oh, yeah, the ketogenic cookbook. Have you got any other cookbooks behind you? I know that you're not the cook, so that's okay. I won't, I won't um, judge you for not being the cook. Yeah, but actually people, when they, th when they know you're keto, they want to give you things. So I've got um, my son bought me the 30-minute low-carb cookbook. At Christmas, and mm -hmm. I've got quick keto meals in 30 minutes or less by Martina Shravalova. And the Ketotarian book I've got is actually a mixture of quite a lot of science. Uh, it's by Dr. Will Cole, and he is very sciencey, and a mixture of vegetarian and pescatarian meals. So. Do you feel like you need to go back to vegetarian? Because that no. was not a good time for you. No, but I'm just interested because people speak to me about keto and they're pescatarian or they're vegetarian and I think it's a challenge to find meals that are totally... I love meat and I've just embraced it now. So I just I don't worry about that at all. I'm quite happy just eating meat mostly. But, you know, if I want to help someone to give them some ideas, that's what I use that for. And there was a great Keto Woman podcast uh, with the doctor, so Carrie Dualis, who was um, a vegetarian. She's, or keto, I think she's vegan, yeah, isn't she? Vegan. vegan. Mm, might have to have to look that up again. Mm. But it is doable, so don't get us wrong. You know, it is doable, but it's obviously you're, you're very right in terms of looking at the, the protein sources and making sure that particularly women have enough protein to cover um, our requirements for that. Yeah. So I took a picture of my cookbooks before I left. Um, obviously, I've put it in my favourites file, so I know that my, my friends who actually are, are – 
caretaking them for me and I've got Mark Sisson's uh, Keto Reset Diet. I've got loads of Maria Emmerich's um, Michelle Tan and um, that was the Nom Nom Paleo uh, cookbooks and I picked them up in America and that's one of the things that I tend to do is when I go to Costco, my Costco card has travelled with me worldwide to the US and Canada and obviously the UK and Australia and so I tend to seem to pick up these um uh, cookbooks because the keto cookbooks are um, in there and um, Caroline Ketchum as well because she's got some great cookbooks as well so I've certainly got got those and I've also got uh, yeah the wheat belly yeah so I've got the wheat belly cookbook as well so yeah quite a few I've, cookbooks. I've got um the ice cream um ice cream Bye. scoop I think it's called Carrie Brown From Browns, yes, yeah, I've got got hers as well. What I've also done is taken to no longer having physical copies. I buy ebooks, so e cookbooks, and I've certainly tried to do that one. I'm here in Bangkok with my Thermomix. So I want to give out shout out to um, Megan Allen, um, who is an Australian lady. Uh, there's also Nick, who is the Skinny Mixes. Um, she's she does skinny low carb gluten-free recipes which are really fantastic for um the thermomix recipes and um yeah i've got the thermi um the cook and the chef um they're daniela and michelle's um as well the cookbooks so i seem to collect quite a few Uh, but it's not to say that i don't use them i do use them and um yeah i'm just moving away from physical copies now to um to ebooks so in the kitchen on the fridge, on the side of the fridge, I've got this large magnet which holds the iPad, which I have all my um, e-books in um, a OneDrive. So oh. I just have to have to do that. So yeah, good yeah. idea. Yeah, I tend so to just really- nowadays I just tend to just Google something if I want to find things, but quite often I never remember where I saw them, so I'm always researching again. Well, there's a thing on a on your browser called bookmark, you know, and you can create a folder and you can actually bookmark these recipes. Yeah. Or you can go one better and um, you can go to your local stationery shop and buy a, um, a laminator. And so I print it that one time and I've actually laminate all my favourite copies. So that way I um, don't actually continuously print stuff over and over and over again. I thought that was just madness. So, um, yeah, my favourite recipes I either have now bookmarked on the Safari on the iPad because I keep on going to the same ones or I've actually got this stack of laminated copies, especially like seed crackers. Um, You see the Real Meal Revolution, that was one of the first ones, and What the Fat, so by Grant Schofield and um, Carolyn Zinn. So that was New Zealand. Yeah, that's a New Zealand um, publication. I have the Real Meal Revolution 2.0 on my bookshelf oh. to read it that came with the other book the other few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. As well as, and you've read Eat Rich, Live Long. Oh, yes, by Ivor and um, and Jeffrey, because I went a couple of times to the, the conferences. So, um, yeah, at Breckenridge. So that was a low-carb conference. And, yeah, that was, that was well worth going or travelling all the way to America. And obviously, we were lucky enough to go to the London Public Health Collaboration um, in the May of 2019. Yeah. So we went to the conference together. Yes. I was due to go this year, but as you know, everything's cancelled, postponed. Oh, it was virtual. They had had a virtual. They did. It's not the same, though. It's not the same. It's not the same when you can go to a conference and have cream in your your coffee and they served, you know, great low-carb meals. And food you and, can eat, yeah. And the talks were just inspiring, so that was really great. Yeah. All right, Jackie. I think the um, the listeners hopefully have got a sense of who we are and what our sense and mission and purpose and our vision for this particular podcast will be. Why don't you wrap it up? Yeah, I think this has been a great episode, and we've learnt a lot about you and me and where we've come from and how we got to where we are and some of the resources we've looked at, the podcasts and books we've read. So I think that will take us through. And going forward, we probably have a few episodes where we're just talking the two of us, but we're going to do a lot of interviews with 
people that have either been on the journey themselves and had an experience that they want to share or professionals in the industry who can really give us some great insights. That's great. I really do feel that we are at the beginning of something that um, on our journey, on our collective podcast journey now. Yeah, I'm excited too, Jackie. I'm really hopeful and inspired that what we have starting today with our podcast and sharing with the listeners will be something that, yeah, it's been a great episode and I'm really glad that I have this opportunity moving forward to share not only with with you, Jackie, and um, with the listeners, but also up and coming, we've got some great guests lined up that we'll be recording shortly. And sometimes, like you said, you know, it'll just be us, you know, having a bit of a chinwag or a natter or, you know, a cup of tea, fireside chat. But I'm sure that the listeners will hopefully gain something out of our stories, as well as those, the guests, as you said, about professionals and their journeys. Mm. And we're going to we're going to learn loads. So I'm really excited about that. And I think that's the, the great thing. Um, Teresa Lance, who's another um, one of our keto friends, really inspired me to read another book on being having an open mindset. So that's um, something that this journey and really reflecting on our journeys today was that we have always kept that open mindset. Absolutely. So to find the show notes, go to fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash zero zero one it would be great if you could support us through patreon go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish can you recommend a guest we can interview if you can click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation Follow us on social media. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto One. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know that you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto One and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication.